might recall that we uh, went through the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossians, and we sort of did a, you know, a sermon series where we took each uh, Sunday evening and went through one chapter at a time and really kind of got the overall picture of what was going on in the letter that he wrote there uh, to the church in Colossae. Well, I want to do something a little bit similar starting tonight, or this isn't tonight, Uh, this is uh, still afternoon, but uh, I want to do something similar for Sunday evenings uh, for the next uh, few months, uh, going through the epistles of 1st and 2nd Peter. Now, I'm not going to try and uh, put everything uh, a chapter at a time, uh, each uh, like we did in Colossians, that was just uh, way too much information, and so it'll be a little bit of a longer uh, sermon series as we go through First uh, Peter. There's a five chapters there. Second Peter has three chapters, and we'll just kind of go with the flow as uh, Peter uh, writes out those uh, those letters. But I thought it was very beneficial uh, to do that. Uh, we read every single verse in those letters or in that letter, and uh, had a lot of compliments afterwards when we got done with that. That people seem to like to. Uh, do that, and so I think it's a great way for us to, again to really understand, you know, what Peter was writing about uh, when he was writing those two letters. And so uh, we're going to do that uh, starting next uh, Sunday evening. Uh, tonight's more of an introduction into First and Second Peter. We're going to kind of talk about who Peter was, and we're going to look at some scriptures throughout First Peter uh, of how he describes the Christian. Of course, uh, Peter, Simon Peter, Cephas, you know, as we know him in Scripture, probably is one of the more interesting uh, individuals we read about in the New Testament. You know, we, we actually know quite a bit about Peter. Uh, we know a lot about his family. Uh, we're first introduced to him in John chapter 1 when Andrew, his brother, goes and gets Peter and brings him to Christ. It's interesting that it's Andrew who is mentioned first, but really uh, Peter is going to become one of the more prominent apostles. We know that Peter was married. You know, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 5 that he was a married man. Uh, we know that Peter had a mother-in-law, so again... Uh, we, we understand that he was married, and we also know about Peter is that he must have had children. Uh, when we read in First Peter chapter 5, we're going to learn that Peter was an elder. And of course, one of the qualifi- qualifications of being an elder is to have a believing children. And so Peter was a married man, and he also had children. And of course, we know Peter, uh, when we first meet him, is a fisherman by trade. Uh, But he eventually is going to go on in Acts chapter 2 and going forward, uh, being a gospel preacher as well. And of course, as an apostle, you know, he's really the spokesman for the 12 apostles. Uh, If you would, I'm going to look at a passage real quick in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, This is one of those passages that we might remember about uh, Peter very well in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse uh, 13 through 18. This is... You know, what's, what's often referred to as Peter's uh, great confession. In Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13, it says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. 
I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. You know, in this confession uh, that Peter says that you are the Christ, uh, you know, Peter uh, gives his, his take again on who Jesus was. And a lot of people have, uh, in some uh, denominations, especially in the Catholic Church, has put Peter up as the uh, very first pope. Uh, and they'll go to this verse here uh, in verse 18 and say, you know, see, uh, I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. Uh, the name Peter in Greek is this Greek word petros and it means stone. You know, Jesus called Peter a stone. Uh, but he says, look, in verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter and upon this rock. Well, that word rock in the Greek is Petra, and this means a bedrock. This means a massive rock. So Peter is a stone, and this confession that Peter makes is the bedrock. And some, again, some have believed that, you know, that Jesus is saying that based on you, Peter, based on you, I'm going to build my church. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying based on Peter's confession that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, I am going to build my church. And of course, uh, we're familiar uh, with uh, Peter uh, towards the, um, the end of the book of John in John chapter 21 that talks about how he's going to suffer a martyr's death. And legend tells us that Peter was actually crucified, uh, but upside down because he did not uh, feel worthy enough to be crucified like his Lord and Savior. Now, again, that's not in the scriptures, but that's what history has recorded for us. But I think a lot of us Uh, When we read about Peter in the scriptures, we can see ourselves in him. We can relate to Peter. You know, there's never a shortage of instances with Peter speaking or acting boldly. You know, Peter's the, he's always the first one to speak up. He's always the first one to to do an action. Remember in Luke chapter 5 when uh, he was out fishing all night and he caught nothing and Jesus gives him some advice and so he tells them to go out into the deep and cast your nets out there, even though they caught nothing the other day. And so he does that, and his fish, or his, excuse me, his net is so full of fish that when he comes back, he says, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Oh, please, uh, get away from me. Uh, Matthew chapter 14, Peter uh, was the only disciple, remember, who had the courage to walk on the water. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, we just read of Peter's great confession. Uh, a couple of verses later in verse 22, uh, he rebukes Jesus by, by saying, you know, that, that these things are not going to happen to you, Jesus. Um, he says, God forbid it, Lord, that, you, that these things should never happen to you. But then Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me, uh, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Again, Peter Peter was bold and, and spoke up, and maybe he didn't think things through a lot of the times. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 33, he told Jesus that I will never fall away. And of course, uh, in, ver- in chapter, verse 51 of the same chapter, when uh, the, the Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus, it was Peter who took his sword out of his sheath and cut the ear off of the, the, high, of the servant of the high priest. Right? Peter was very bold, and of course, we remember Peter as the one who denied Jesus three times before the rooster crows. Again, can we relate to those things? You know, uh, do we see ourselves in those actions? 
Uh, do we shoot from the hip? Uh, Peter was extremely, extremely bold. And so we're very familiar with Peter prior to the cross, but it's the post-cross Peter that we see a changed life. We see a transformed man. You know, Acts chapter 2 uh, as we read there in Matthew 16 and in Acts chapter 2, it was Peter uh, with the keys of the kingdom of heaven who unlocked the church to the, the Jewish nation. In Acts chapter 10, it was him who preached to Cornelius and the Gentiles there who unlocked the church to the Gentiles. And between those, those chapters, you know, he's constantly being thrown into prison, being beaten, uh, all for preaching Jesus. And about 35 years later or so after the death of Jesus... Peter, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's going to write these two letters to certain Christians living in this area. Uh, He's going to write them uh, about suffering, suffering that they're going to see. He's going to write to them about their hope and not to give up. And so throughout this study that we're going to start uh, next week, we're we're going to focus on the hope aspect of Peter's letters. Uh, Again, suffering, he mentions that throughout these letters, but we're going to focus more on the hope that Peter writes about, the hope of Christ's salvation, chapter 1, the hope in Christ's teaching, chapters 2 and 3, and the hope in Christ's suffering, chapters 4 and 5. You know, if if the book of Acts tells us how to become a Christian, it's really the, the epistles that tell us how to stay a Christian, how to live as a Christian, and to live like one. And so in his attempt to comfort his uh, readers, he uses a variety of descriptions in his letters to keep everyone focused and engaged on their hope. And these names that describe us can also, you know, they really can add a sobering dimension to what it really means to be a Christian. You know, it reminds us the price that we have to pay on earth as we yearn for this great gain promised to us for all eternity. And so as we do this overview of 1 Peter, I'm going to give you... 13, 13 descriptions. Okay, this, uh, uh-oh, yeah, a 13-point lesson, but I, I promise we'll go through these pretty quickly here uh, this afternoon. But, you know, we often say that, uh, you, you heard the expression before, right, that we wear many hats. You know, uh, back in Michigan, I used to be an accounting supervisor uh, for, uh, for a school district, uh, and my job was to deal with the accounting department. Well, my boss... Well, her title was the Assistant Superintendent of Non-Instructional Services. You know, how would you like that as a title? S- Assistant Superintendent of Non-Instructional Services. And so she was the manager of not only the finance department, of uh, the human resources department, the, the food service department, technology, transportation, maintenance and operations. You know, she wore a lot of hats. Uh, it's amazing to think about all the things that she had to keep straight uh, from going from one department to another. Well, this afternoon, let's think of the many different hats that we wear as Christians. And again, we're going to point to uh, 13 of these that we see in 1 Peter chapter 5 and just quickly note uh, how we are to live as Christians. Let's look at the first one that we actually see in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. The first description he gives is these Christians were aliens. Now, we're not talking about Martians or little green men. 
Uh, but we're talking about uh, those who uh, reside uh, as aliens, strangers, foreigners, temporary residents in this world. You know, it's a, rem- a reminder to those who belong to Jesus are just quite not at home in this world. You know, we're just pilgrims passing through. And it also it serves as a warning not to become attached to this world. Uh, our permanent residence will be revealed when the Lord comes. Right? And this is a theme that we can go all the way back in the Old Testament and see uh, when, when Abraham was wandering in Canaan. You know, when, when his wife Sarah died, he had no place to bury her. And actually in Genesis chapter 23, verse 4, he's talking to the people of the land. He said, I am a foreigner and a stranger among you. And that relates to us as well in the New Testament that Christians are just aliens, uh, strangers uh, scattered throughout this world. Of course, Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, that, that, that our citizenship is not here on earth, but is in heaven. So the first point we want to notice is that uh, we're described as aliens. The second one is in verse 14. Notice uh, Peter says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. You know, that's another characteristic of the Christian, is obedience. You know, I've mentioned in a, a lesson before that obedience is sort of a, a, a sort of a dirty word uh, today. You know, maybe that's because we put you know our dogs through obedience training, right? We don't put people through obedience training, uh, really. But again, obedience is a biblical word. One of the most popular ex- examples of obedience comes from King Saul in First Samuel chapter fifteen. You remember this, God. Through Samuel told Saul to utterly destroy all the Amalekites in the land and all their livestock, everything. Just utterly destroy everything. And of course he did that. Well, mostly he did that. He kept alive their king, King Agag. He really did that as a trophy. And he also kept their best livestock alive as well. You know, why let those things go to waste? Saul probably wondered. But then Samuel comes to Saul and he tells them, you know, what is this? You know, what is this bleeding of sheep that I hear? Or why, is it, why do I hear this oxen? And remember, at that point, God rejected Saul as king of Israel. And we learn from that lesson that partial obedience is still disobedience. And God, through the prophet Samuel, said to obey is better than sacrifice. Again, Peter reminds us here that another description of the Christian is we are to be obedient children. The next one, newborn babes, chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. You know, Peter explains that, we understand this, right? That, that babies crave milk. Uh, uh, we understand that when they start screaming and, and hollering that, that they're hungry and they're, they're craving that. And there's, there's no waiting around. I mean, you can't tell the child to be quiet for a couple more minutes. Uh, you got to go and get that bottle for that child. And so the point that Peter's making here, with, using that description, is that we are to long for Scripture the same way, whether you're a babe in Christ or, or a seasoned veteran. You know, the, the spiritual man needs to be fed too. We understand if you don't eat, you die. That's just not a, a physical thing of the human body, but that's also spiritual of the soul. Peter is going to say in the very last verse of the very last book that he writes, 2 Peter 3, verse 18, that we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Why? 
Well, he tells us there in verse 3 of that verse that we just read, because if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, if you've tasted that, then you desire that. You want that. And just like newborn babes desire their, their bottle, we should also desire God's word. And notice the next one in verse Uh, Verse 5 of chapter 2, he says, Christians are living stones. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God's children are living stones. In the Old Testament, God, of course, dwelled in the temple. Uh, This was a temple that was made by hands, these, these stones that were cut out, physically built. But in the New Testament, The concept of the temple is still there, but Peter explains that Christians are now those stones, the living stones. We're we're the building material of this spiritual house that that God has built, the church. A building material that's more precious than any stone, more precious than any jewel. This is the house that God now dwells in. Parker and I, uh, well, Parker just recently from his grandfather got a Lego set that was over 2,500 pieces. I mean, this was uh, quite an impressive Lego set. It was a bookstore in a little apartment. And so uh, we took a while putting this together. And uh, when we got done with it, you know, we had some extra pieces left over. You know, they usually will give you some extra pieces uh, just in case you lose one. But one of the fascinating things about it was we were shorted uh, one of the main pieces, this brown brick, uh, to the the outside of this structure. And really, when you look at it, or at least when I look at it, you know, it feels a little incomplete. It's missing a brick. You can see right into the house. Well, what about you and I? Again, we are living stones. We are the building material of God's house. How well are you and I doing at holding up God's house, holding it up? We are living stones. Uh, The next one comes all from verse 9 of chapter 2, and this actually hits four, four in a row. Look at chapter uh, 2, verse 9. I love this verse. Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous He begins by saying you're a chosen race. You are a people selected by God. You were chosen. Uh, He says you're a royal priesthood. You know, in the Old Testament, of course, uh, every uh, not every Jew was a priest. You know, not every Jew was from the tribe of Levite. And so they couldn't approach God themselves. But now in the New Testament, all Christians are priests. Uh, We all can go to God in prayer. And we are that royal priesthood. He says we are a holy nation. We're not a nation of physical borders, but we're a community bound together by Christ that is set apart for this for morally pure living. We, We have spiritual boundaries. Again, we're holy. We're set apart. We're sanctified. And we're a people for God's own possession, he says. The idea there that that we were acquired by God for his purpose. You know, that's a word that we see often in Scripture, redeemed. We are a redeemed people. Uh, He redeemed his people out of the land of Egypt back in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he has redeemed us from spiritual slavery uh, of sin to a a freedom. You know, redeemed. That word redeemed means to buy back. 
You know, that's his validation of you in his eyes. God thought you were worth such a price that you were such value to him that he redeemed you. Going back in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. He purchased you, redeemed you back by the blood of Jesus. And because of that, we are a people for God's own possession. Look at verse 16 of chapter 2, another description of the Christian. He refers to us as free men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of Christ. You know, that, that verse might sound a little strange if you read it uh, over and over again because there's an idea there of obedient freedom. You know, he says, act as free men, but as bond slaves of Christ. You know, Christians, again, enjoy freedom in Christ. Uh, that's a free from the penalty of sin. But that doesn't mean uh, because we have freedom from the penalty of sin, that doesn't mean we have a license to sin. And so we, we're still slaves of obedience. We're still, uh, as he says there in this, verse 16, bond slaves of God. Move all the way into chapter 4 of 1 Peter and verse 12. Another description, he refers to us as beloved. This one doesn't need too much uh, digesting because obviously we are the object of affection, right? And that's, that's enough to be said there as far as that description. Uh, one more he gives us in verse 16 is Christian. Christian in verse 16. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. You know, there's only three times in the New Testament where the word Christian is found. It's found in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, when they said uh, they were first called Christians in Antioch. In Acts chapter 26, verse 28, uh, Paul said you might have, Paul speaking to uh, Agrippa, he said you might have persuaded me to become a Christian. And then the other one is here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 16. One who identifies as a follower of Christ is a Christian. You know, Christ, the word Christ there means anointed one. And the I-A-N that you put at the end, that signifies ownership. So you are owned by Christ, right? If you live in the state of Kentucky, you're a Kentuckian. You know, you're, you, you are uh, owned, uh, if, for one a lack of a sense, one way uh, by Kentucky, a Kentuckian. But if you're a Christian, you belong to Christ. And again, to belong to Christ implies that you belong to him every day. It's not just on Sundays or Wednesday evenings, but every day, all day. But in the context that we're reading in this verse, again, he says, do not be ashamed as a Christian. Do not be ashamed as a Christian because you belong to Christ. Uh, two more, two more descriptions uh, this evening. In, verse, in chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, he refers to Christians as the flock of God. Let's start in verse 1. Therefore, I exert the elders among you as your fellow elders and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Right? Uh, as a church... We have a chief shepherd that he'll go on and mention in those verses, which is Jesus Christ. 
We are his flock. He is the good shepherd. And as the good shepherd, he lays down his life for his sheep. Uh, The idea, again, is that we are like sheep in need of shepherding. And so we are a flock. You know, that's another example, uh, a description of being a Christian, is that we are guided by our shepherd. And then finally, we want to notice just this last description briefly that he gives us in verse 9 of the Christian. It says, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And again, we are brethren, brotherhood, an association of persons having a strong sense of unity. You know, uh, our brethren here in, in Kentucky and in Florida and Texas, in Guyana, Ukraine, uh, Peter is explaining here we all deal with the same thing. We, we all need to resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. We are all going through the same things. We are not alone in what we are dealing with. And those are just 13, just 13 descriptions that Peter gives of, of Christians, of children of God in this first epistle. That's a lot of hats. That is a lot of hats. And I hope this overview of the descriptions of being a child of God will help us in our study of First and Second Peter going forward. Uh, again, it must be a special thing. Uh, for those facing the prospect of suffering in their faith, like the readers of this uh, letter who got this for the first time, to read about the description uh, of uh, that God communicated to them about who they were. Again, it's a blessing for us as well to understand that we are living stones uh, that build or that, that put together His His church. That that I'm a priest in His new priesthood. That I'm a part of his flock that he was willing to die for. And again, this should make us eager and able to endure whatever we may face in living the Christian life. And again, that's a point that Peter makes at the heart of this letter. And so I'm encouraged to study this with you uh, going forward. uh, To look at these scriptures that Peter writes to these Christians uh, scattered throughout these different areas. And I pray that it will be beneficial for you as well this evening. Uh, afternoon when we offer the invitation. Again, if there's anyone uh, here this, this afternoon who is ready to become a Christian, we would love the opportunity to speak to you and to help you uh, begin that new walk. Or uh, if you need the prayers of the congregation, if you need strength, uh, if you need uh, anything, we'd ask that you please make that known as together we stand and sing the song of invitation.